This is uh, emotional for me. It was seven years ago that I got this cryptic email from a church member and uh, asking, does the church take stock? And, and I, I emailed him back and I said, well, you know, we, we don't play the stock market, but yeah, people do give us stock and we just sell it and we put it in the budget where it goes. Yeah. And I thought that was that. And I think it was about two days later that Vicki Elazer, who was our business manager at the time and still helps with the books at our church, uh, knocked on my door and uh, I'd been senior pastor about a year. And she knocked on my door and she was holding an email she'd printed. I think is what it was. Or it was a letter. I think it was an email. And she was crying. And she said, I can't believe this. And I thought, oh boy. I think what's coming they don't prepare you for in seminary. I had no idea what she was about to tell me. But she said, I just, this is from a brokerage firm. And we've just been given 5,000 shares of stock at $200 a share. I'm just a preacher, but I can do that math. That's a million dollars. So the person who had sent me the cryptic email, I quickly called and I said, you know, I really need to buy you a cup of coffee or perhaps a whole Starbucks chain. I, <laughs> um, we, we need to talk. And so... And uh, he's like, oh, you, you got that. Ah, oh, great. I was glad I could help. And I'm like, yeah, glad you could help. Yeah, we need to talk. So, so we, we, I bought him a cup. I bought, I bought the coffee. I even think I bought him a pastry, too. And, uh, you know, because after all, it's a million dollars. And uh, he told me the story. I said, I'm, you know, I don't even know where to start and how to, to even talk about this. And he said, well, you know, it's been, a, it's been a good year and we've had something really wonderful happen with the company I'm associated with. And, and uh, let me tell you a story. So when he was a young man, he was studying to be an MBA. He was at UT and his, they went to a, a Baptist church in town. And um, he was not, he, by his own admission, and I can relate to this, he was not a churchgoer during those years. It's disingenuous for me to say that I ever went to college. I was enrolled at college when, when I was 19, but to say I went to college implies I went to class, and I didn't. I, I was busy starting a band and partying. So anyway, he was actually in school. And so, um, so they were, one, one day they get this letter in the mail, his mom did, and it was a check for $250,000. She had gotten an inheritance that she didn't know was coming. $250,000. So they were, everybody was dancing around the kitchen, you know. And she said, my mom went over and got her checkbook out of her purse and sat down at the kitchen table. And she wrote a check to the church, not this church, the Baptist church they attended, for $25,000. And he was like, whoa, mom, you know, whoa, are we going to talk about this? And he said, I never forgot. She looked at me and she poked her finger down on that check. And she said, that's not my money. And he said, I knew what she meant. That was God's money. God had given generously, joyfully, through an ancestor, a relative she didn't expect, and she was going to joyously give back to God. 
And he said that I had said something in a sermon somewhere along the way, and I don't remember. I don't remember this stuff. I hope you do. I, <laughs> I, I remember the high spots, maybe. But I remember saying this, and he remembered it. God doesn't give to us. God gives through us. And God gives to us and it passes through our hands. And yes, we, get, we, we have access to these beautiful gifts that He gives all of us. And, and they're there to provide for our needs and to sustain us in all these beautiful ways. But then it's supposed to keep moving. And it passes through us and it goes on to the next person. And that's what His mom taught Him. And apparently the lesson stuck as He sent us a check. Essentially a check. It was stock worth a million dollars. And I always, every time I see him, I remind him that all of this infrastructure, not all of it, I mean, it, it, it costs more than, than, than that. What, what we did, let me back up. We took that million dollars, we thought about what to do with it, and we made an endowment out of it. And what happens is, uh, he, he said, I want everybody in the church to get a, a 10% bonus, because I figure there's nobody overpaid in the church, and whatever's left, I would like for you to do whatever you want to do with. Well, I left about $900,000. So we created an endowment, and we have several, we have almost $4 million worth of endowments. And those endowments, well, these past few months, they haven't churned out nearly as much. But typically, when the market's rolling, they churn out a lot of money. We never touch the principal. An endowment always stays at that initial amount. It never goes below that. But then the interest we spend on ministry. And we created this outreach endowment to purchase supplies for so we could have better worship, uh, so that we can have better equipped pastors, so that we can advertise on Facebook or billboards or whatever we need to do to get the word out. It was, it was we use the word evangelism, uh, but that word is so freighted. But evangelism is just outreach. It's getting the word out about Jesus. And so uh, that's what we did with that. And a lot of this infrastructure we have over these past two or three years, a lot of that has come out of that endowment, by being able to stay in touch with each other during COVID and all that. Just been fantastic. And so what he gave just continues to give and give and give and will in perpetuity because that money will never run out, because we'll never go below that $900,000 level. So anyway, it's beautiful. Don't mean to start a commercial for endowments, but it is a wonderful way to give to the church. But I say all that to say this. We're continuing our sermon series, Surprised by God. We talked about being surprised by God's love um, and surprised by God's presence. And today we're going to talk about being surprised by God's generosity, which almost sounds counterintuitive, uh, should we really be surprised that God is that generous? And you know, really, if you look back, you probably shouldn't be. Uh, just look at creation. Look at creation for heaven's sake. Look how generously God created this place for us. You know, he could have just created a rock where we could all live in a cave and, and just, you know, continue to eat whatever walked by that we could catch or whatever we could grow uh, and no frills. But think about this. Think about our creation. Think about the fact that these sunsets and sunrises we have that are so beautiful. And a scientist would say, well, sure, that's because there's, you know, how many gazillion cubic yards of this gas and how many gazillion cubic yards of that gas. And when they get together at just the right temperature and just the right pressure and the sun comes through at just the right angle and it refracts the color and we see colors in the sunset and the sunrise. Right. I got that. But why? 
he didn't have to create it that he didn't have to create that way. We could have had all the gas and all that stuff in it not, and, and not have that beauty. He did that because he loves us and he create, he always goes over the top. I understand why flowers smell the way they do, because they need to attract pollinators so that pollinators can come wiggle around in their fairy dust and go out and sprinkle it around and, and, and create more of those plants and flowers. I understand. It's science. But why does it smell so good to you and me? Why do we bend down and smell that perfect rose or a carnation and just swoon at how beautiful it is? Why? It doesn't have to smell good to us. It only has to smell good to bees. But it smells good to us. It's an extra. It's God generously created. And we could go on and on about how gorgeous this creation is. That's because God loves us so much and wants us to have the extras. You could go from Genesis through Revelation and look at time after time after time, God's people shook their fist in His face and He provided for them. The song we just sang, Honey in the Rock, Water in the Stone, that was God providing for His stubborn, I love the, one of the old translations of the Bible called it a stiff-necked people. You, Jesus called us that once. You stiff-necked people. And, and you know, we are sometimes. And yet, God just keeps giving and keeps providing. Why? Because He loves us so much. So we really shouldn't be surprised at God's generosity. But I think sometimes we miss it. Because we misunderstand, I think, how God wants to provide for us. Um, Philippians. We're going to read one verse from Philippians. And Philippians, it sound, it, it's, all that means is it's a letter that pa the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. They were Philippians. We are Concordians, I guess. He was writing to the Philippians. And the, the congregation at Philippi, uh, they loved him and he loved them. God, Paul had a love-hate relationship with some of those churches. If you could read some, especially if you read Galatians or some of Colossians and parts of the Corinthian letters, I mean, you know, it's, it's like knockdown drag out at times. But, but the Philippians had Paul's back and he appreciated it. And I'm going to read more about that in a minute. I just want to read this one verse for right now, because this is kind of our anchor this morning uh, for just a few minutes as we talk about God's generosity. And that's Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And it says simply this, And my God will meet all your needs. And if you're one of those people that has a Bible and likes to highlight or underline, circle, the word needs should be in bold. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Needs is the key word. Because we get confused. And when, when we think about needs, it's not just the basics either. Think about Maslow. There, there's, there, and, and I remember an undergraduate uh, reading about, in a psychology class, reading about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And maybe you've heard of that. And it's these five levels of needs that all human beings have. And, hey, I, and that's science and that's psychology. But there are interesting connections to the way God does it, too. I mean, first, it's, it's physical. Uh, the first level of, for all human beings is the first level is, is, is physical needs. We, we need to have something to eat. 
eat. We need to have water to drink. We need to sleep. That's the first one. The second one is safety. We need to have some sense that some animal isn't going to come through the tall grass while we're asleep and eat us for lunch. And, and whatever the modern day corollary to that is, that we have some degree of safety. That we have love and belonging. That's the third level up of, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We all have this sense of love and belonging. And then the next one is esteem. We all need to have a certain level of self-esteem for us to function properly in the world. And the last one is really like the ultimate zenith, I guess it is, the pinnacle of that, and that is self-actualization, which, which I think is a fancy word for being comfortable in your own skin. And there are probably other ways, and I know there are psychologists in this room right now. I've just seen their faces, and they're probably going, stick to, the, stick to theology, Trotter, and leave the psychology for somebody else. But, but I truly believe that self-actualization can be, can be you know, kind of reduced to that, that it's, it's being comfortable in your own skin. It's like, you know what? I know I have these other things, and... And I'm good with that. And Paul said that. Let me go, let me read. I didn't notice that until the first service when I was reading the rest of this passage for another reason. And then, and I caught this. Listen to what Paul says about this self-actualization part. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. It's trust. It's trusting that God will provide. And so... Think about how God provides through all that. God does provide for our physical needs. He does, he, does, he does want us to have food to eat and water to drink and, and shelter. He wants us to be safe. Now, unfortunately, we all have free will. And sometimes other people's free will overlaps with ours. And that's whenever people start hurting each other. So, you know, God lives. With, he's always lived with the people and let them live their life. And then he tries to take all that and, and carve his purposes out in it. As we learned in Romans 8, 28, that God works for good uh, in all things for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so, but sometimes bad things do happen, but ultimately he does want us to be safe. He wants us to feel loved and that we belong. And I don't know any other way for us to understand that better than looking at the cross. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he wants us to know how much he loves us and that we belong in his heart, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He wants us to have self-esteem. Think about this, that cross. Jesus died for you. And I know we all have issues with self-esteem, and I do from time to time still. We all, and there could be lots of reasons for that, and I don't ever want to make light of that. Sometimes it may be something someone said to you over a period of time when you were younger, or maybe just said it to you. Or maybe it's just life has dealt some bad cards, and, and you know you're just feeling defeated, and our self-esteem can shrink. But God wants you to understand you were worth dying for. That's how much I love you. And I didn't just die for a few people. I did for everybody, which means he died for each one, and that includes you. That's how important you are to him. When you're struggling with self-esteem, never forget that God left heaven and came to this planet to die a horrible death because he thinks you're that special.
And then finally, there's the self-actualization. That's when we realize that we start to relax a little bit and go, you know what? I'm not perfect. I get it wrong as often as I get it right. Maybe I'm getting it right a little more. And this is where I am. You know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I really messed that up today. And I should have called this person. I should have said this. I shouldn't have said that. I should have done this. Or I shouldn't have done that. Or whatever it may be. But more and more and more, I get to the end of the day and I go, God, I did the best I could. And I know you're going to love me either way. And, and so th- when, when God says he wants to supply your needs, those are the kinds of needs he's talking about. And we confuse that with wants. Sometimes we want something so badly, and it could be anything. For me, it's been guitars. It's, mostly it's guitars. Uh, but, you know, and, and it's like, I need, you know, it is, I need that. If, I mean, if you said this, this is me with guitars. It may be you with golf clubs, cars, fishing equipment, computers, personal devices, whatever it may be. If I could just get this, I'll never need anything else. <laughs> How many times have we said that? You know, because we want and we want and we want. And that's okay. God is okay with providing some of those wants, too. But the problem is, sometimes what we want is not what we need. I mentioned last week in a, in a sermon about how God has this press box view. Uh, you know, he sees from up here. and We're down in the middle of the confusion, and, and we don't see from up here. We can't see how it all fits together. And sometimes we just want this so much. I've got to have this. And God's up there going, yeah, but you don't understand what's going to happen if you get that. It's going to lead to no good. When I was in, uh, I guess I was a junior in high school, and I was work, maybe a sophomore. I was young. I wasn't. I didn't have a license yet. Um, but I was working. I was working. It's now Dollywood. In those days, it was called Go Rush Junction. I played. <laughs> I've never had a real job. I've been a musician. I've been a disc jockey, and now I'm a preacher. But. <laughs> But I was working. I was playing trombone in the saloon band at Dolly at uh, at uh, Silver, uh, Gorish Junction is what it was called, and uh, and of making you know I think we made fifty or sixty dollars a week, which was oh man. Um, but, but this guy also worked up there. His mother had this old fifty eight Ford, big big fifty eight Ford Galaxy sitting in I think it was a Galaxy, big Ford, green and white, sitting in the backyard. And I went over to look at it. You know, two of the tires were flat, the headliners hanging down, it's rusted out. And he's like two hundred and fifty dollars, man, you can have it. And I'm thinking, oh, I want a car. Wait, when I get my license, I'll have a car. This will be great. It's a classic. Well, no, it wasn't a classic. In in nineteen sixty nine, a nineteen fifty it was just a junk. It was just a pile of junk. You know, it's a classic now, and they're awesome, but it wasn't then. So I told my dad, Dad, I can, I can work for five weeks, and I can save my money, and I can buy it. And, and my dad, wisely, to get me past it, he said, well, okay, let's go look at it. So we go over to my friend's house, and the grass has grown up, and it's, it's in the morning, and the grass is wet with dew, and my dad's highly polished wingtips. The water's just beating up on him as we walk out, and he's jingling the change in his pocket. Can I get an amen for a parent who jingles the change in their pocket? Except for my dad, it was never good news when he did that. It was. It meant that he was really upset. So he's jing. I mean, he's jingling the change in his pocket, and he walks. He wouldn't get closer from here to those chairs. I think he thought it was just going to explode. It looked so bad. But he looked, and he said, yeah, and he looked at my friend, 
weekend. It was, it was car. It was his mom's car. So okay, yeah, we'll have to think about that. Let's go, son. I thought, so we get back in the car, and he and and he said, "Son, that's not a good car. That is not. You don't need that car. That car may not make it out of the yard. You deserve something better." Now, Dad didn't say stuff like that to me very often, but he said that. And so uh, later on, it was actually the next year, but it was not much more than a year from that. I had had my license and was driving the family car, and I was starting to work at the radio station at night as my senior year in high school. And, you know, I was getting very active. I was flying and, and going out on dates every now and then. I needed a car, and my dad then found this 1968 spotless, beautiful Ford Fairlane down at the local Ford dealership and negotiated a really good deal. And he said, I don't have the money to buy you a car, but I'll co-sign the note. And he, he provided, that's what I didn't need that 58 Ford. I needed a car. I needed a good car that would start when I turned the key. And he made sure that I had it. And that's the way God is with us and our wants. Sometimes, sometimes I really think we think God is Alexa. You know? And it's like, God, I need this. God, I need that. And God wants, and don't get me wrong, He wants to hear that. He wants to hear what's on our heart. And if we have a need, He says, come to me with petitions. It's okay. But it doesn't mean that like Alexa, you're always going to get that song played at just the right time, or you're going to get those lights turned on at just the right time, or you're not, or you're going to get the answer to some silly question, or, or you're going to get, you know, a dad joke on Father's Day from Alexis. By the way, I'll provide one for you. <laughs> you know, the people, of, the people of Dubai don't like the Flintstones. But the people of Abu Dhabi do. <laughs> Help yourself. I got a million of them. I got a million of them, but I'll, I'll hold Pat on that one right there. I just thought that was, and I have to give credit. So I saw that on Instagram. Somebody on Instagram told that joke, and I about spit coffee out of my mouth. That, that's so funny. Of course, he did tell this one, too. <laughs> He said, my friend told me that his grandmother at 75 started walking 10 miles every day. She's 92. They don't have any idea where she is. <laughs> hey, what are you going to do? Fire me? This is my last sermon. <laughs> Just say you're welcome. Um, or thank you or whatever, anyway. Okay, so anyway, what was I? Paul, Philippians, yes. <laughs> when we see our wants, God sees the needs that we haven't even considered. And that's the truth. We want something so badly, but he's way ahead of that. He sees needs that we haven't considered that will serve us far better than some want that we can't see the end game of, but he can 
Sometimes needs can include wants, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't ask, as I said. We should. We should pour all of that out to Him, but just be prepared for Him to give whatever it is that He thinks we need. And know that He will give to you so generously, and He would like for us to reciprocate. This other little part of the, of the passage from Philippians uh, that I wanted to just mention you know, Paul has the verse about God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. But listen to what he's saying to the Philippians. I greatly rejoice in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned but had no opportunity to show it. And uh, I... Uh, and I read the part about where he says, I'm content. Uh, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, uh, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. And he talks about how grateful he was for the way the church shared with him and then reminds them at the end about how uh, God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And these two things come together. And they come together to say this, God gives generously to you and me. But I go back to the very first statement, he gives to us, actually he gives through us. Because he wants us to give back out of that same sense of love and response. Generosity is really godly love. And godly love begins with a selfless intention that then becomes a sacrificial action. Just a selfless intention. Just the idea that, boy, I would really like to do something for you. Well, that's not generosity. Generosity is when that selfless intention becomes a sacrificial action. That's godly love. That's true generosity. And I will wrap it up and wrap this sermon up with probably the first story I ever told here 22 years ago. I'm sure I've told it since. But I will remind you of this story because it's my favorite. And I, talked, I, I told a story about our younger daughter last week, so I'll close with this. Back around 1990 or so, I was... Uh, still in the radio business, and our traffic reporter, Pete Michaels, uh, was going out of town for a month, and I used to fly, and so he said, he knew he did, I did, and I, he'd take me flying with him sometimes when he'd do reports, and he said, hey, I will get you back current again and rent a plane for you if, if you want to do traffic reports for me. And, and, that, and I mentioned that in the sermon last week, too, in that it really, that flying bug bit me again and almost got me off track because I just love airplanes and I love flying. And I would go up and do traffic reports, and Tom went with me one day. Tom went up with me one day, and it was very windy. And we were coming back to the downtown airport, and we were, we were, we were actually, the weather was deteriorating, and we were trying to get back in a hurry, and I had too much altitude. And you can slip an airplane, meaning you bank the ailerons one way, and you kick the rudder another way, and it drops pretty fast. And, and I had it cranked, and so Tom was sitting over, here and the plane was slipping and he you know the plane's pointed this way and the runway's there and Tom's looking at it and we're just falling like an elevator <laughs> He's, he had this look on his eyes like are you sure this is right but 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 but, but anyway so I was flying again, and I was reading Flying Magazine again. And so Lauren, our older daughter, was about five, 
It was about 1990. She was five. Christy was about two. And uh, I, Lauren was in the living room doing something in the floor, uh, playing with something, reading probably or doing something. And uh, Christy at that time was about one and a half. And I don't know, Lynch, I think she was in the, in the bedroom. We put down some newspaper and some food for her or something. She was, yeah. Anyway. So, so it's after dinner, and I'm reading Fly Magazine, and, and there's this ad for a Breitling chronograph. And, you know, it, it tells the time in six different time zones simultaneously, and it's titanium this and quartz that, and it will, you know, you can calculate fuel burns and all sorts of stuff. It's like the ultimate aviation watch. 30, this was in 1990, $3,500. So, so I kind of yelled back at Lynn. I said, hey, I found what you can get me for Father's Day. Give me a Breitling chronograph. They're only $3,500. And she said, well, let's get you two in case you break one of them, you know? And, and we laughed. And Lauren then, after a minute or two, disappeared back into her room. In a few minutes, she came out. And she had, she's a smart girl. She figured out how to get that rubber stopper out of the bottom of a piggy, piggy bank. And she had. And she came out to where I was sitting in the living room and she had $14.72, all the money to her name in her hands. And she stood in front of me and she said, Daddy, is this enough to buy that watch? Yeah, it's still hard to tell the story. And that's, that's it, though. That's it. This is the way God gives to us. He gives without, he, gives, he doesn't count the cost, though he knew what it would cost him to love us the way he does. He just gives and gives and gives. And in response, that's the way we should give back to him. And I'm talking about dollars and cents. I'm talking about a lot. Give your life. What if you just, what if you just gave your life? What if you stood in front of God and said, God, you know, I, I've messed up a lot. I've said this prayer many times. I've, I've messed up a lot. Um, and I don't know why you put up with me, but I'm grateful that you do. This is all I've got. But you can have it. And He'll take it. And He'll do something beautiful with it. If you'll just offer, offer your life. Offer it back to Him. And I say that now because that's, what I, that's, how I want to, that's what I want to leave you with. Jesus died for you. That's all true. This is all true. This stuff we've been talking about up here for years, it's all true. That's how much God loves you. Jesus died on a cross for you so that your sins would be forgiven and so that you could begin becoming the very best version of you you could possibly be by the power of the Holy Spirit coming down from heaven and infiltrating your spirit and beginning to change you. One thought, one action, one attitude, one loving moment at a time. And if you have never accepted Jesus Christ in your life, you should think very seriously about that because it's all true. And this is not about church membership. It's not about giving an offering so we can build a building or so that we can keep this ministry going. And that, that's not what this is about. This is about your future. This is about your eternity. All God asks is that you hand yourself over. Just say, Lord, I can't do this anymore. 
I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. But you can. And so I give myself to you. You need to do that. If you've never done that, you need to do that. And maybe you've done that before, but you haven't thought a lot about it. It's time to renew that. It's time to, it's time. It's time to take this seriously and rededicate yourself to giving yourself back to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, there are people here today who've never done that. There are people here today who know who you are very well and like what they see and hear. But Lord, they've never taken that step. And I'm praying right now that your Holy Spirit would empower them to take that step. Say yes to your eternal acceptance of them. Lord, there are those here who've done that, but haven't taken it too seriously lately. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would provide an impulse in them to do that, to get involved, to get involved in the life of the church, to get involved in your life, and to begin sharing the moments of their life with you more and more, doing the things you would do, loving the people you would love. Come Holy Spirit, change us all in that exact way we need to be changed so that we can be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.